Um, I want to tell you about a man named Julius Hickerson. Julius Hickerson was a doctor and a pastor here in the United States, in Texas, I believe. Um, and he believed God was calling him to serve as a missionary uh, in Colombia. So in 1949, he moved to Cali, Colombia. And he ministered there two years. Um, and then he died after two years, after seeing very little results from his missionary work. On March 21st, 1951, he was flying over a remote place in Colombia, over some mountains, jungle terrain, um, and uh, his plane crashed and he died. A couple years later, uh, a few missionaries were having a Bible study together there in Colombia, and some uh, native Colombians approached them and explained to the missionaries that they were followers of Jesus, and they wanted to join their Bible study. And they explained that there were several churches peppered throughout the small villages of the Colombian jungles from which they had come. The missionaries were very surprised by this information because they were not aware of any missionary activity in the remote areas described by these Colombian believers. They, the Colombians explained that they had found a book that came from heaven. It was a Bible, and it was written in Spanish. And according to one account I read, only one of the villagers could actually read. And so he took this book that they found, and he read it to the rest of the villagers. And they all became Christians. And he went to another village and read it to them, and they all became Christians. And so from this one Bible, many became Christians, many villages came to the Lord. These believers then showed the missionaries the Bible that had fallen from the sky, as they put it. And the missionaries took the Bible, and on the, they opened it up, and the name on the inside was Julius Hickerson. Uh, the Bible had flown out of the plane somehow um, when, he, when, it, when it crashed. The power of the Word of God. God had used this one Bible to save whole villages and to start churches. We're going to talk about the Bible today. And the point I really want to impress on you today is that while the Bible is powerful for non-Christians, it's also powerful for Christians. It does not lose its power once you become a Christian. It's powerful to save non-believers, but it is equally powerful to transform believers. It turns non-Christians into Christians, and it also turns baby Christians into mature Christians into men and women of God who are godly and Christ-like. It turns weak Christians into strong Christians. So I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, um, verse 30 is where we're going to start. John chapter 8, verse 30. If you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 986. Page 986. Verses 30 to 32, as Jesus was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Here, Jesus defines a chief characteristic of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, continuing in his word. If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. Genuine followers of Jesus continue in his word. Genuine followers of Jesus continue in his word. They adhere to his word. 
So let's just break this down just a little bit. First of all, what is Jesus' word? What is Jesus' word? Well, it certainly includes his teaching. It includes the teaching that Jesus gave, and it includes the teaching of his apostles, for their teaching comes straight from the Holy Spirit. And it also includes all the teaching about Jesus. So for all practical purposes, we're talking about the Bible. We're talking about the Bible. What does it mean then to continue in the Bible? What does it mean to continue in his word? The Greek word that is translated here, continue, means to abide in, to remain in. So it means to abide in the scriptures, to abide in the scriptures. Jesus uses a word here that means to dwell in a particular place, to dwell like, for instance, in a home. We abide in our abode, right? We abide in our abode. We are, and so we are to abide in the scriptures. We are to make our home in Jesus' teaching. In other words, we're to be really familiar with it. We're to return to it constantly. We're to live in the word of God. We're to, to be very plain, followers of Jesus Christ. Go ahead, Andrew. Followers of Jesus Christ read the Bible regularly. They study it. They meditate on it. They submit to it. They seek to live according to it. They don't read it to accept parts of it and dismiss other parts of it, but rather to, they read it in a stance of humility, accepting it all as the authoritative word of God and submitting their lives to it. Now, according to verses 30 to 31, Jesus is talking to believers. In fact, look again at verse 30. As Jesus was saying these things, many, what? They believed in him, right? Many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him or had believed him, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. So he's talking to believers, right? We're not going to read through the rest of chapter 8, but as you read through the rest of chapter 8, it's interesting what Jesus says to these believers. If these are believers, why does Jesus call them children of the devil in verse 44? And why does he refer to them as not from God in verse 47? And why does he call these believers liars in verse 55? How, then he, how can he call these believers liars and children of the devil? Well, the answer is because there's belief and then there's belief. There's one kind of belief and then there's another kind of belief. To explain this a little bit, I want to look at John chapter 2. Andrew, next slide. Thank you. Next slide. John chapter 2, verses 23 to 25, where it says, While Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many trusted in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. So many believed because they saw all the works he was doing. Verse 24, Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all. And because he did not need anyone to testify about man, for he himself knew what was in a man. Jesus knew what was in them. They professed faith in Jesus, but Jesus saw that the faith they professed on the outside didn't really exist on the inside. Their faith was shallow. It wasn't true. It wasn't persevering. True faith, true faith abides in the word of God. It submits to it and lives by it. So back here, back in chapter 8, back to chapter 8 now, we see in verse 30 that many believe in Jesus. So Jesus explains to these believers what true belief involves. It involves continuing in his word. It involves abiding in his word. It it involves holding on to his word. And that is, in chapter 8, that is precisely what these believers refuse to do. 
It's precisely what they refuse to do. Look at verse 37, for instance. Jesus says to them, I know you are descendants of Abraham, but you are trying to kill me because my word is not welcome among you. My word is not welcome among you. So let me just make sure you understand. Chapter 8, verse 30, many people put their faith in Jesus. Verse 31, Jesus explains to these new believers that they are to continue in his word. But he doesn't accept them as new believers because in verse 37, he recognizes that they are unwilling to welcome his word. They are unwilling to welcome his word. Now look at verse 43. He says, why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my word. Verse 45. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Who among you can convict me of sin? If I tell the truth, why don't you believe me? Again, rejection of what Jesus is saying to them. Verses 51 to 53. I assure you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death ever. Then the Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died and so did the prophets. You say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death ever. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? Even the prophets died. Who do you pretend to be? So these Believers, we see, are quite hostile to what Jesus says. He says, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death ever. And they quote it right back to him in disbelief, as if he could possibly say that. So there's belief, and then there's belief. There's two kinds of belief. These believers Jesus deals with here in chapter 8 are not genuine. How do we see that? Because they resist his word. They do not welcome his word. They resist it. On the other hand, genuine Christians abide in and adhere to the Bible. Genuine Christians abide in and adhere to the Bible. When a person abides in the word of God, that person is a true disciple of Jesus Christ. And then abiding in the word has significant consequences according to Jesus. Back to verse 31. If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Those who abide in the word of Jesus, they will be changed. They will know the truth and the truth will set them free. And here's where we begin to touch on the power of the Bible. The power of the Bible. Abiding in the word of God has transformational power. Next one, Andrew. Abiding in the scriptures will transform you. Abiding in the scriptures will transform you. Humbly studying and submitting to the scriptures will change you. It will transform you. For some of you, it is transforming you. It has been transforming you for a very long time. You've been abiding in the word. You study it on a regular basis. You're in it constantly. The word has, you've been in the word and the word has gotten in you. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So let's take a look at this a minute. First, when you continue in the word of God, it says you will know, Jesus says you will know the truth. What does it mean to know the truth? What does know the truth mean? Andrew, Um, it means it means a couple of things. First of all, it means you will learn what the truth is. Very simply, you will learn what the truth is. You will learn the truth about the world. You will learn the truth about human nature, about human beings, about our origins, about God, about sin, about Jesus Christ, about where history is heading, about Satan. Also about love and living and family and anger and envy and greed and suffering and service and so forth. And about what's important and about what's really not that important. And you'll learn about what's coming and what happens after death and so forth. And the world has a lot of opinions on these particular topics as well. Often wrong. 
The Bible shares with us the truth about these things. Someone has written this. Um, He says, you must remember this. You can never have a Christian mind without reading the scriptures regularly because you cannot be profoundly influenced by that which you do not know. If you are filled with God's word, your life can then be informed and directed by God. Your domestic relationships, your child rearing, your career, your ethical decisions, your interior moral life. The way to a Christian mind is through God's word. You will know the truth means that you will learn the truth. But it also means this, that you will experience the truth. You will experience the truth. When you come to the scriptures on a regular basis and with the attitude of humble acceptance... That is, the word of God, the spirit of God begins to work in you so that you begin to embrace the truth as truth. And so that you begin to know not only the truth and affirm the truth, but also that you live it out. And the word works on you in such a way that it begins to change your desires and your inclinations. And from that, then your attitude and your thinking begins to change as well and habits begin to change. So you will know the truth and then also the truth will then set you free. So here's the next question, from what will the truth set you free? What will the truth set you free from? Verses, look at verse, beginning in verse 32, let's read through verse 36. Jesus says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We are descendants of Abraham, they answered him, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? Jesus responded, I assure you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. Therefore, if the son sets you free, you really will be free. Jesus is talking here about slavery to sin. Talking about slavery to sin. The truth will set you free from sin. It will set you free from sinful habits. The more you study the word, the more you will know the truth, and the more you will be set free from sinful practices and sinful habits and sinful thinking the more and the more your life will run on all, all cylinders like it's supposed to the more you will also experience the peace of god and the joy of christ even when life isn't great do you wish to be set free from sin do you wish to be set free from some troubling temptations from some troubling sins from bitterness for instance from hatred from an unwillingness to forgive, from constant anger. Maybe a short fuse is one of your besetting sins. You wish to be set free from lust, from anxiety, from fear, from greed, maybe from bad language, from a critical spirit, from, you fill in the blank. Abiding in the word of God will set you free. Over time, you will know the truth, experience the truth, and you will be set free. So where does, this, where does this power come from? Where does this transformational power come from? It comes from God. It comes from God. It's not some kind of magic that comes from you reading the Bible every day. But when you attend to the Word, when you are in the Word, when you're abiding in the Word, the God of the Word meets with you. The God of the word meets with you. It's the Lord Jesus who has decided to use the scriptures to renovate your soul and your heart and your mind. There's nothing magical about prayer either. There's no magic in prayer in and of itself. 
Prayer is powerful, but it's because God has chosen to answer prayer and to work through prayer to do great things in and through you. The power that comes from staying in the word of God is because you're meeting with the God of the Bible. You're meeting with the God of the word when you read the word of God. And that's where the power comes from. God has chosen to work through this to transform you, to make to take you from a weak believer to a strong believer. This is power. That's power. Jesus says, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Let me ask you to turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, it's on page 1045. Romans chapter 12, page 1045. I want to briefly show you two other passages. That illustrate the power or that indicate the power of the word of God. Romans chapter 12, just look at verses 1 and 2. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing and perfect will of God. Verse 1 there, it says, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. We are to offer ourselves up to God. We belong to God. Our lives belong to God. Second Corinthians 5.15 says, um, And Christ died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Or 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, You are not your own. You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your body. And that's what Romans 12.1 says. We are to offer to God our bodies as living sacrifice. We belong to God. So how do we live in a manner that pleases the Lord? Romans chapter 12, verse 2 tells us, do not be conformed to this age. We don't conform ourselves to the ways of this age. Rather, we, tra- we are transformed, we are to be transformed By the renewing of our minds. Don't be conformed to the sage, but be transformed. How? By renewing your mind. How do do you renew your mind? It's through the scriptures. It's again by abiding in the word of God. You renew your mind through regular interaction with the scriptures. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Uh, There was a survey conducted in 1980, which is now a really long time ago. Uh, conducted by Christianity Today magazine and by the Gallup poll. And uh, the results of that survey support the claims of Jesus and Paul here that we've read about in Scripture. Uh, The conclusions of that survey uh, indicated, for one thing, that no factor is more influential in shaping a person's moral and social behavior than regular Bible reading. Someone has written, if you want to be changed... If you want to become more like Jesus Christ, discipline yourself to read the Bible. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians 3.18, page 1065. The last verse of chapter 3 there. Verse 18. Paul, talking to believers, he says, We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, 
and are being transformed into the same image, that is the image of the Lord, from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. There are a few things that are going on in this verse, but here's the one truth that I want to key in on. As you see and behold the glory of the Lord, you are being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to another. You are being increasingly transformed as you regularly behold the glory, the person, if you will, of the Lord Jesus. And where do we see the glory of the Lord? Primarily here as we read about him. This is where we see the glory of the Lord primarily. And as you gaze upon the glory of the Lord, as you meditate upon the truth about the Lord, you are being transformed. You are being transformed to be more and more like Jesus Christ. To be more godly. To be, to be good. Again, illustrating the, the truth that if we abide in the word of the Lord, we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. Set us free from sin in order to be more like God. Again, we encounter this truth. The more you interact with the scriptures, the more you, God uses them to change you. So there is power in the word of God, and that power is God himself. It's the Holy Spirit who meets you in God's word and uses it to shape your mind, uses it to shape your heart, your soul, your thinking, your attitude, your opinions, your convictions, your affections, your desires, your habits and behaviors, and your will. Donald Whitney wrote, No spiritual discipline is more important than the intake of God's word. Nothing can substitute for it. There simply is no healthy Christian life apart from a diet of the milk and meat of Scripture. If we would know God and be godly, we must know the word of God. Regardless of how busy we become with all things Christian, we must remember that the most transforming practice available to us is the disciplined intake of Scripture. So why talk about this? Why, why preach a sermon on this? Well, there are a few reasons. First of all, Jesus and Paul both highlight the importance of the scriptures, as we've already seen in the verses we've looked at. And further, because scripture is so central to Christian character formation, as we've looked at as well. It's central to Christian maturity. It's, it's central to becoming true, truly good and godly, to becoming more like Jesus. And it's, it's central to building a Christian worldview as well. It's powerful. The word of God is powerful. There are various metaphors used in scripture about scripture. The word of God, for instance, is called a lamp that enlightens us. The word of God is referred to as milk that nourishes. It's called a sword. It's referred to as a sword in Hebrews 4 that pierces. It's a fire that consumes and also purifies. It's, it's a hammer that smashes. The Bible is a powerful agent. Another reason, though, to preach about it is that the Bible is under attack today. The Bible, the Bible is under attack in our culture, for instance. The Bible is under attack. Um, and with that reason, let me, just, uh, let me just list for you some possible responses that people have to the Word of God. Go ahead, the next one there. Responses to the Bible. Many people, for instance, attack it. Many people attack the Bible. I've heard uh, various podcasters speak out against the Bible. I've heard, I've heard various so-called pastors uh, undermine the scriptures when they say something like, and I just heard someone on a, online recently say, of course, he says, of course some parts of the Bible aren't true, he says. Um, so it's interesting that he preaches the Bible that claims truth and uh, preaches against that truth. 
I've heard various so-called Christians deny huge swaths of Scripture. The Bible is under attack in our culture. So that's why I wanted to focus again on the Scripture and that it is powerful. And regardless of what our culture may say about it today, for 2,000 years, many have been adhering to it and have found that it has transformed them. So I remind you today of the power of Scripture today because the world around us attacks Scripture and undermines it. But another response that people have to it is this. Many people treasure it. Many people treasure it. And that's what many people have done for 2,000 years since the time of Christ. Well, even before that, with the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus treasured the scriptures. Jesus treasured the scriptures that he had, and that was the Old Testament. And that's our example, and that's our model. And so we also should treasure the scripture. I've received newsletters reporting on dedications of Bible translations, of new Bible translations in African countries. And the dedication ceremonies are well attended. And the verbal descriptions of these uh, ceremonies and the pictures that I've seen of these ceremonies convey both a sense of reverence and an overwhelming emotion of joy at finally being able to have the Scripture, the Word of God in their own language, and I look at and I read these descriptions and I look at the picture and think, wow, how un-American. <laughs> how 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 these people love the word of God. And they're so excited to have it. I read in one case that the day scheduled for the dedication of the scriptures, um, it was requested, there was a mass request that they move the date to a national holiday so that people would be free to be able to attend this ceremony. And then something like 2,000 people attended this ceremony for the dedication of Scripture. These are people who treasure the Word of God. Or consider a man in Kansas City uh, many years ago who was severely injured in an explosion. Um, And in that explosion, his face was disfigured. Um, He lost his eyesight, and he lost both of his hands. And one of his greatest disappointments... Um, was that he could now not now read the scripture. He could not now read the Bible. Um, because, and he had just become a Christian just before the explosion. So he just started reading his Bible. Then he had this explosion, lost his hands, lost his vision. He couldn't read the Bible. So he acquired, he acquired the Bible in, in uh, Braille because he had heard about an English woman who, had, who could read Braille with her lips. He didn't have hands. But she could read with her lips. So he got a Braille Bible and he tried to read it with his lips. But his, um, the explosion had significantly damaged the nerves in his lips and he couldn't distinguish the letters. So he was very disappointed. As he was trying to read with his lips, he stuck out his tongue and touched it. And he found, I can, I can read with my tongue. And when this was reported, when this was reported at the time of that reporting, He had read through the entire Bible four times at that point with his tongue. There's a man who treasures the word of God. My question is, do you treasure the word of God? Another possible response is that many people ignore it. Many people ignore it. They simply neglect it. They ignore the Bible on their shelf and they leave it on the shelf. Their TV remote is shiny, but their Bible is dusty. The cell phone is smudged and dirty from use, and the Bible is dusty from disuse. So I guess my question is, what's your response to the Word of God? And I'm hoping that if it's neglect, that you're going to shift into the proper response of treasuring the Word of God. 
My aim today has been to show you the incredible power of Scripture, the power that it has to transform you and mature you, so that you will abide in the Word of God and make your home in it, so that you will either begin or continue a regular daily habit of Bible intake. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. It is a tremendous gift that you have given to us. Of course, we celebrate the, the gift of your Son and the gift of your Holy Spirit, um, but we also are grateful for the gift of Scripture, so much that we would not know or understand. How would we understand or know about the plan of reconciliation that you have for us apart from your Scripture? Father, I pray that everyone in this room would value and treasure the word of God and that they would abide in it. And then that they would know that transforming truth that you have shared, that if we abide in your word, if we continue in it, we will know the truth, learn it, experience it, and then that it will set us free and we'll become strong believers, strong believers, easily saying no to temptation. Father, I pray that you would work in everyone in this room towards that end. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.